On today's episode of The Mismatch, we're talking about three things we're looking forward to from this coming offseason, as well as the latest rumblings for when next season could end up starting. One thing we didn't hit was the Pacers hiring Nate Bjorkren as their next head coach. That came out after we recorded, so we'll talk about that on Friday. Anyway, here's today's Mismatch. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin o what's going on this Tuesday? We are officially in the off season, and today we are going to each bring to the table three things we look forward to in this upcoming offseason. But as we start the show today, I do want to comment on what our boss, uh, Bill Simmons, and then he went on a podcast with Zach Lowe, and they kind of discussed it a little bit, and that is next season. Um, before we look to the offseason, we do need to kind of understand when when is next season. And these guys have clearly done a lot of talking to people throughout the league. After listening to them, I tried to call around and find out uh, what people knew. And I think if I'm uh, for for those that have not listened, just to sum this up, the basic idea that Bill was laying out was next NBA season is going to be messed up no matter what. So keep intact the following season and being able to get back on the regular NBA schedule. Now, what this would include is probably not starting at Christmas, but rather Martin Luther King Day, having that entire day, almost making that like a Christmas day, as I understand it, and then start the season there. You decide on a number of games, whether that's 70 games or 50 games or whatever, but then be able to have eight weeks of playoffs there at the end when they usually are in June and be able to wrap up the season then and then be able to get on a normal schedule after that. Obviously, there's a million details to work out, but the idea is not knowing when you can have fans in the stands anyway. Let's try to plan something and put something together where, yes, it's it's less of a season, games-wise, but even if we have to start it late, we get a significant amount of games in, and we're back on track for the following season. And Martin Luther King Day seems reasonable, if that's a date. In other words, what Bill and Zach are, are were saying, might, maybe teams are worried about, the league is worried about, is the fact that ending the season during the NFL season, with everything else happening, MLB playoffs, NHL, everything, it has hurt. And so you want to get it done earlier. I haven't heard anything about starting in January as of late. I know that's been talked about a lot. I've still heard a lot about February or March being more likely than January, but that's not off the table by any means. And and there's and there certainly are a segment of people that do want to see January for all the reasons that they discuss and we are now. Yeah, I think that uh, the reason March is so hard to get to is because if you if you decide you're going to start in March, 
and then you still can't have your fans back in the stands, then you're going to sit back and you're going to go, well, then why did we waste all of this time? Let's just go ahead and start this thing in January, and then we'll figure out when we can get, if that is a minor amount of fans in the stands, if that's half a stadium, whatever it may be, maybe by that time there's a vaccine, maybe you know we're in a different world, hopefully, with COVID-19 at that point, but that if you did start in March, you wouldn't be able to finish. You know what I mean? You And you might look back and say, geez, we just wasted two months because we thought if we started in March, we could have fans back in the stands, but now we can't. And so not being able to plan for that, I think you just try to figure out how do we get a season in? It's ultimately going to be about the following year. You know, what would be the 2021-22 season and not screwing that up? And, and, and with that... Even a January start, it's probably hard to have a, an October start unless you have a really condensed short and off season for the players, which, you know, for whatever team end up making a run to the conference finals and the finals, that might be a bit unfair to them, you know, in terms of rest and getting their body back to 100%. But, you know, it, the fact is, is that if you do want to retain that October start to the season, that might be what you have to do. But maybe what you do is you could have a November start. You could do that. You know, it'd be a one month late start instead of, you know, three months late by starting in January instead of October. So there's, there's ways, there's ways hey, maybe it's it going to change things. And maybe it is an agent for change. Maybe all of a sudden, and I know Bill's outlined this, that start after, like, you know, at the end of November when it's like week 10 of yeah, the that, NFL That's season, what I'm in favor of. Right. I'm in favor of that. Yeah. And then play 70 games, play 72 games. Spread them out a little bit more and, you know, shorten the schedule. Have your play-in stuff at the end of the season. You know, there were lessons learned from the bubble. One of the lessons is you can't go up against football. Another lesson was people are going to love that play-in. And they are going to love that at the end of a season. And so there's some things that you came out of this. And 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 frankly, it took this to to, to realize it. But for years there was that, hey, why don't we just uh, start? At Christmas, and then we can end a little bit later in the summer. And Adam Silver went out of his way during, I believe it was game one of the finals when he did his press conference and said, what we've learned is that that we need our summer months. We need June and July, right, as the, the moments where the NBA has center stage because the more it gets fractured, and obviously this is an election cycle too, but the more it gets fractured, the worse it is. And so there were... I mean, look, there's a bunch of lessons learned from the bubble. I, I'm with you, though. Starting in late November, it seems – and less games. I don't care if there's 82 games. To, to me, to me, a late November or a start anytime in December is the move. Uh, I mean, we've talked we talked about that during the hiatus. We talked about that when it was floated out there by someone from the Hawks front office. I forget who uh, talked about it. I believe it's Sloan. And – and he he was a big you know supporter of it as are there are a lot of people in the league that think starting in December is the perfect middle ground because then you with a slightly shortened season and a plane instead you could have the seat the finals take place in July or early August which is just as NFL is about to really start going if you're the NBA in that situation you lose some of the hype about the off season. You know, about the draft and free agency, the, how close it gets to the NFL uh, start of the regular season or even preseason for that matter. But as long as you get the finals in before that, I think you're in good shape. But we'll see. The other thing is this. If you can play out this season and get it done when the season would normally end, you also preserve the ability for your players to go play in the Olympics. And that has not come up a bunch, but that is a major factor. When your best players in the league include Nikola Jokic and Giannis Antetokounmpo and Luka Doncic and on and on and on. I mean, these are not just guys that you would be saying, hey, I know it's important to them to play for their country. It's a different world than it was yes. 10 years ago, uh, 15 years ago. These are the best of the best players in your league and it matters greatly you only get a couple of cracks to play in the olympics you know and especially in your prime you do and it matters greatly for them to be able to represent their country and to go and play in the olympics and if you if you tried to extend this season you know again you're 
you're just punting on that. They're not going to be able I to agree. participate in that. And I do think that matters to a lot of guys. I do. Oh, it hundred percent does hundred percent. And it's the type of thing. The Olympics are supposed to start July 23rd, 2021. And at that point, if you're starting the season in March, I don't know. I don't know. Jokic. I don't do know. It. Luca. No. I, I don't, I don't know. You know, Giannis, if you're actually going to be able to make that, especially on the teams that they play for, I don't know if the season, you know, what will be at that point. But the fact is, if you start in late January, there's a chance with a condensed season. Yeah. And, and, and I think that might be the approach there for the NBA. Maybe you take a hit and then you're set up to start in October or in November, whatever you want to do when you recalibrate things right. for the following year. Yep. And you could knock it out. Uh, certainly. I mean, we did that. We did that during the lockout year. You know what I mean? It just became a shortened season. One thought that just came to mind, and I haven't heard this discussed in months, but. When we were talking about, you know, the plan or the group stage that were both in discussion and had a lot of support, the group stage, meaning like an Olympic style pool of, you know, six teams or whatever it might be competing against each other to get into the regular postseason tournament. You could always have something like that as part of the 2021 NBA regular season. There could be a group stage towards the end of the year that deter- that like kind of simulates the end of the season. You could use that. I'm just saying, if you have a shortened season and you have no other choice, I'm just saying. You're getting that thing in there no matter what, aren't you? I'm you're just getting, saying. You're getting that group I'm just saying the NBA. I mean, if you're trying to get the season over partially because of the Olympics and a lot of and a large segment of your players wanting to have an opportunity to, to perform and play in that, mm-hmm. you could also capture the spirit of the Olympics. <laughs> and, and take. I mean, look, they use this year to experiment. Yep. Why not also use next season, especially if it has to be a shortened season? What's more exciting, like a 50-game regular season or like a 50-game regular season with a group stage element? Something else to experiment because you you know playing got support. You know Elam ending and the All-Star games got support. Why not also see if this could work for like a mid-season tournament format in the future? I'm, I'm sure just saying. I'm sure it'll be on the table. You know I'm just I mean? saying. And especially uh, for television purposes because they need to rebound big time TV wise. I mean, this was an unmitigated disaster. Everybody knows that TV ratings are weird, man. I know. I mean like TV rating, like you have like one side that says like NBA TV ratings are down for this reason. And that reason it's a disaster for them. What happens with the CBA on the other side, you have people that say, yeah, but ratings are up on online streaming up and social media engagement and all that stuff. TV ratings may not matter as much in terms of, as like a, a, a measurement for understanding where the league is in terms of popularity, I would say it is not the most relevant statistic. However, it still matters a lot financially. And that's true. Yeah. It's, for, yeah, it's and, where they make their money. They <laughs> yes. don't make a, they ain't making money off Twitter. You don't exactly. <laughs> you, there's, there's no good way to monetize social media comments. Like people commenting on your post or following the NBA, Instagram or Facebook well, page. There's just no that way. Out. And that, and, and that's something that's going to come up big. Not maybe for the next CBA, but for the one after that. I think the next CBA, you're still going to see, you know, TV deals are still going to be huge. But what happens for the one like in 2028 or 2029? That's where for the NBA, every league for that matter, that's going to be a big discussion. Well, and here's the other good thing. It's much like when people lamented like, you know. When when owners would lament uh, losing money, and then when you put your team on the market, even the even the sorriest teams get a billion dollars, you know, that somebody's willing to pay for them. Okay, so th- there is a value there. It's much like that when it comes to television ratings, where people can lament that, but the truth is, the advertisers are still there, and beyond that, there are now, you know, we have created so much more competition for these outlets right like there's only one nba and so now you have you have cable channels that are desperately trying to keep their relevance and so they need it and you have amazon and you have facebook and you have on and on and on apple and all these places that are getting into it and there there will come a time where one of those big tech companies owns a league or certainly a mass has the massive contract with the league and so all i'm saying is it creates so much more competition. Um, and so the money's going to be there for that property. Um, but they certainly learned their lesson in what they went up against. Um, cause you just can't do it. You can't, you can't, you can't do it. 
definitely, you know what? And I wonder how much of this will just kind of uh, develop over the passage of time as like the younger demographic, which is familiar with streaming and is normal to streaming, oh, absolutely. grows older. And that becomes more of a lucrative way to monetize. But I wonder uh, if this, this is just a huge discussion for another day, Kev. But as a, as a, as a father of a son, I will tell you that I've had these discussions with a lot of business people in the NBA, and you know the the NFL promotes their teams as entities, right? Not and their the NBA promotes their stars, and the NBA promotes highlights. And there's a lot of people that are quote NBA fans that do not watch games. Yep, they don't right. watch games at all. They watch a Kyrie Irving highlight reel on Absolutely. Instagram on House of Highlights. They'll they'll see the latest Giannis dunk or whatever it might be. That's the problem because when I wake up in the morning and my son's eating breakfast and he's looking at his tablet, he I will I, by the time I get up I can say, uh, I don't know. Did you see that LeBron dunk? He will have already seen it because he watches the fifteen minute highlight packages. Yeah. The one that on YouTube that up. they put together, right? Yes. Yeah, and those he, are and, great. And the, by the way, yeah, they're, they're awesome. They're great. They're, they're great, great. But you have trained a generation of fans to take in your content like this in this manner, and so that's the one concern. Yes, they are massive fans, and yes, they spend. You know, they want the jerseys and they want the cards and they want to go to the games. Um, you know, to have me take him to the games or whatever else. But I also have an awareness of. Are they learning to not watch games? And are have we made the offseason and all the extracurricular stuff and the promotion of singular players so much bigger than, you know, people are loyal to point. players so much more than they are loyal to teams. They That's just a are. great, great point. And, and I wonder if maybe the NBA needs to start thinking about strategies to foster rivalries is that part of it like and and by that it could be like the top four seeds in the, each conference get to choose their opponent you know you choose your opponent like like if if let's say a team chose dallas this year a young up-and-coming team with luca and kp when that team is ready for contention is that suddenly like a, a marquee rivalry potentially could it turn into that i don't know it's hard for the nba it's easier for the nfl i think in terms of the fact that there's only 16 games, you know, one game determines everything. But I do, and you plus you have divisional matchups with teams playing each other twice a year. With the NBA, I wonder if there's a way, aside from, you know, choosing your opponent in the playoffs, that could help create some rivalries. And, and maybe that's something that could help in that way. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just throwing the thought out there. Hey, Chris, before we move on, let's take a quick break. Yep. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. 
All right, let's get into this offseason and yeah, what we look forward to. All right, I'll start with this. Uh, the first, first things first, there is an NBA draft that is going to be coming up uh, a lot sooner than we think. Uh, hopefully the CBA all gets knocked out, and that number one pick in the draft is, is held by the Minnesota Timberwolves. I have them and what they do with number one as one of my biggest things I'm looking forward to this offseason. And here's why. A, nobody has any idea who is going to go number one, at least to the point where nobody would bet a lot of money on it yet. It could be a bunch of different players, including the three that are behind you on your wall. Um, B, does Minnesota exercise that pick? I mean, they have a guy right now in Towns who's in – his second contract there, and I would think uh, Gerson Rosas took over. You you added D'Angelo Russell, another guy in his second contract. I mean, you can't draft somebody that's going to be good in three years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you've got to. I, I would imagine they're going to try to win now and be a playoff team now and be able to take those lumps now. And so, do they use that pick to take an exceptionally talented player at the number one pick or? Do they use that pick in order to move it to get veteran players, to get assets, uh, you know, good players that they could stack around Towns and Russell um, rather than exercising it on a young player, knowing that, I mean, I got to believe Minnesota's in win now mode, right? Like, what are you waiting for? And if you wait too long, you know, there's obviously going to be a guy that says, I don't want to be here anymore. Well, they are in win-now mode, and I reported last week that their preference is to trade down and get some type of win-now player, and that remains to be seen if they are if they'll actually be able to do that. However, um, my first one is related a little bit to yours. It was what happens right behind number one because oh, wow. at Golden State, Golden State has a number two pick, and league sources around the league have said they want James Wiseman. I've heard that the Hornets at number three want James Wiseman. So would well, I Charlotte... told you this. I told you this during the season. He is perfect for the Warriors. Oh, hundred percent. Wiseman is. I mean, look. If I'm doing like my player rankings right now, I think I have Wiseman sixth on my rankings. If you told me Golden State is getting James Wiseman, I'm skyrocketing, skyrocketing him up my board. It's a because he, that's a perfect fit for him to grow and develop and to work on some of the weaknesses he has in terms of you know quick decision making on offense, reading the floor and defense. I mean, imagine having Draymond Green as a mentor. That's Can right. you imagine that? And that whole culture there. Come on, that's perfect. And you also have guys that you know. If you're the true rim runner, I mean, look, it, it they got mileage out of JaVale McGee. They got mileage out of Kevon Looney. They got mileage. They turned Willie Cauley-Stein into a nice-looking player there for a minute. I mean, like, he if if you're just talking about a guy that you, you don't have to dump it down to him, him command a double team and get you a bucket. He is the fourth option at best, and he is running to the rim and finishing lobs when the big guy comes over to stop that Steph Curry floater. I mean, that is, in terms of development, and James would be in a bad way if he has to go to some place where, uh, you know, Charlotte, and he's expected to be the savior. Yeah. He, he's, not, he's not that guy. It, but he could be someday. It, it's Maybe. just it's just a matter of the pressure. But it might kill aspect. his development. It you might if you're if you're forcing that upon him so much too much too soon. Whereas with Golden State, that can develop a little bit and it could flash here and there. But at a minimum, like the thing I like about Wiseman as a prospect, and I don't think this is really reflective in my ranking of him, is the fact that he is a, a foundation for success. He's got to be a good NBA player because of his athleticism and his length, ability to run the floor, just his sheer size around the rim. That's going to be able to give him some minutes throughout his career. That's a baseline. And for Golden State, there's a lot of noise that he's their guy at number two. So if you're Minnesota and there's teams behind him, whether it's Charlotte, which I hear likes Wiseman as well a lot, whether it's Chicago at four or somebody else, is that enough for them to try to leapfrog over the Warriors with the rumors out there? Or let's say you're the Hornets at three. Would you in that situation just stay there and hope that guy falls to you anyway? 
because think about it. Like if you're them, you're hearing Golden State likes Wiseman. You don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. It's out there. It's floating out there. Everybody in the league's talking about it. But I mean, yeah, they, they might, they, might they, they they might want Wiseman to go number one. So Anthony Edwards falls to number two. That's right. You know what I'm saying? You don't know. This stuff floats out there all the time. And you just, it's so hard to read. And ultimately, I think you got to just make the move that you think is best suited to your franchise. And that could lead to mistakes. We saw Philadelphia trade three for one to get Markel Fultz. And, and Boston likely would have taken Tatum at number one anyway. And Los Angeles would have taken ball at number two anyway. And Fultz likely would have been at number three. <laughs> for Philly anyway. Right. So that can happen. But ultimately, if you think that guy is the number one option for your franchise by far, you're gonna make the moves that you think are best for you. But ultimately, I mean, I'm just excited to see what happens behind that number one pick in terms of trades, in terms of movement, or or if they stay at number one, where these guys end up falling. So I'm excited for that. And Warriors are actually Warriors are in an ideal position. They really oh, are. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're going to be, you know, maybe not the favorites, but they are near the top of championship favorites next season. No, no, season. no. I'm my, saying my, but, but my for book. the draft, like where they landed, oddly, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oddly two is a great spot to be in because you could, you could find the desperate team. And so if you wanted to move your pick and get win now players, you could. If you, if you wanted to try to, if you want to try to package it, you know, in order to get some uh, uh, an awesome package, or you could take okay, here's our next foundational piece, yeah, and you get that. With to me, I two. go young. I go young if I'm then. I'm not, I'm not trading for a veteran. I mean, maybe I trade down, and, and you know, because I've heard they like for some of the wings in this draft as well. Whether that's Denny Avdia or Isaac Okoro, somebody like that, I, I could see the logic in doing that as well. Um, trading down and taking them, or even just taking them at number two for that matter, but. You know, for them, I think keeping with that young player, regardless of if they stay at stay at two or trade down, makes the most sense to me when they already have so much finances committed to their star, their existing star players. You want to grow a young one in with that, in my opinion. No, the interesting thing though is you, there are probably trades out there where you could get number one or you could get number two. I don't know if you could get three. I don't know. Charlotte would. Charlotte probably. They, I mean. Look, you're Charlotte. You want to get a young player. You want to you want to try to nail it. You want to try to nail the draft on that. All right, next one I've got. Okay, so we have had the Philadelphia offseason. Brett Brown is gone. They are uh, they lament the fact of the whole Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, carrying the, Miami to a six game of the NBA Finals. But now you got to figure it out. And they hired Doc Rivers and. He brings in assistant Dave Yeager, so they've gotten the bench uh, solidified, but we have talked so much. They were the biggest disappointment last year for injuries and other reasons, ending sixth um, in the standings when people thought they could be one of the favorites, uh, certainly to be in the Easter Conference Finals. And so the next thing is, how do they clean that up? Or do they clean it up? And I mean that by saying is... Is Doc Rivers going to say, hey, I've coached Tobias Harris. Uh, I got the best out of him when he was in L.A. And so I'll, we, Tobias is here, and we don't need to find a landing spot for him. Um, we got Ben and Joel, and then can we find something to do with Horford? And is there a landing spot anywhere without having to give up draft picks and everything else? But, like, how do we have said that there is, there is a roster thing that's gone on there, right? Where they have done a poor job managing that. And so how do they clean it up? Because otherwise, if they don't, then you are going to be looking at the last time we watched the last season that we watched Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid play together as a two man unit. I mean, they got one chance to clean this thing up and they had Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick and fast forward the next year when they were so close to possibly being an NBA finals team and fast forward the next year, and they're a friggin' six seed. So now, how do you clean up those mistakes? And then, obviously, you get into the season. Doc's got to figure it out. But, I mean, they got a roster thing they got to deal with first. There's a limit to even what Brett Brown was going to be capable of doing with their offense. Would you trade for Chris Paul? 
reunite Dark Rivers and Chris Paul? 100%. But I don't think I have the assets to do it if I'm Philly, right? Here's what uh, Doc Rivers said in September about his relationship with Chris Paul. Um, this is related to you know Chris Paul's leadership, uh, head of the NBA Players Association. Doc Rivers said, our relationship is great. Uh, we put that all, all behind us a year ago at least. Golfed a bunch this summer before the season started. We cleaned the air long ago. That happens from coach player a lot. Usually when a guy leaves a company and business, most of the time it's not on great terms, even if they're just not going, even if they're just going to another opportunity. But usually you come back to that company and say thank you and appreciate all the things you've done. And I think that was CP in our case. That's old news with us regarding some of the, you know, the rifts in their relationship when he parted ways. So Doc Rivers did say that, you know, they're good now, right. that they're cool. They've golfed together. They've talked about it. So it's just it's just interesting. I, I think Chris Paul in that offense with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, if you're able to flip, you know, Horford or, or with other, you know, assets to get Chris Paul, I'm not sure you really have enough. Do you <laughs> but think you Hor- can try to make I don't it think you do have enough. Does Horford have value to you? Do you think another team if around I'm OKC, the league? Yeah. If I'm OKC or anybody. I'm, I mean, I anybody. Mean, I mean, I, I think if I'm OKC, I'm less worried about that big salary I'm getting back and more worried about what assets I'm also getting in addition to them. So you think you, in order to move off of Horford, you're going to have to package him with other stuff people it's not, want. It's not about moving ho- or off Horford. It's about getting Chris Paul, and that's going to require assets. I wonder, I mean, look, his contract stinks, but he's better than what he showed. I don't think he's... Horford? Totally washed. I'm 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 with you. I, I think so too. You know what I mean? I, that's why I like that's why I don't think it's really getting off Horford. I mean, he's 34 and he's overpaid for the production you get out of him. But it's a terrible fit. You're right. Yeah, it's just a terrible fit. And, he, and and it's not like with OKC that you know you're getting some player who's going to be benched. Al Horford's going to play for you, and depending on who you draft, he can serve as like an, a leader by example. In that situation, he he had expressed interest in going to OKC before. Granted, that was with with KD, right. <laughs> still there, uh, different situation. But you know, fact is, is that uh, if I'm OKC, it's really about what the, what's the best offer out there, and I'm not sure Philly can could put those pieces together unless there's less of a market for Chris Paul than I expect, which is touches on my second one. Let's hear it. What did the Bucks do? Ooh. Is it a Chris Paul trade? which I've been obsessed with for a long time with them packaging, you know, Eric Bledsoe and a couple other salaries together. Get, get a Giannis, Chris Paul, high pick and roll going. Oh my God. I get so excited thinking about that, man. That's so fun. That that would be awesome. Or is it maybe as Nikias Duncan from basketball news.com suggested a Victor Oladipo trade? Could it be something like that? Oladipo, he has expressed you know, the desire I mean, to win. Can you I mean, that shit? What, what could can you it imagine be? you let Brogdon walk and then you turn around and try to get Oladipo? I mean, I'm not sure how, how I'm not sure how much I trade for Victor Oladipo right now. He did not look like Victor Oladipo when we saw him in the bubble coming off that major, major injury. I'm not so sure. No, I'm not either. And this is this is a massive year for building around Giannis. Giannis had stayed the course on. Look, I don't I'm not walking out the door. I'm building this from the ground up. I want to be here when but there there does there obviously is, you know, a conversation that has to be had when you say, "Look, I only have one career to play and I I don't want to look back and wish I would have done something different." And I look around and I say, "I can't win like this. I can't win with this." And so it's clearly on my best friend John Horse to build around Giannis. I mean, but this is a huge offseason. Because look, either way, you're dealing with the whole friggin' year of people talking about him going somewhere else. Like and he might. That's, that's what's gonna happen. He might. I mean, like this is a, a. It comes to mind, but with Tom Brady, it's very clear why he chose to go to Tampa Bay. It's a flat out better team than New England, and they gave him a better opportunity to win another Super Bowl. With Giannis, obviously this is a totally different. Younger guy has not yet won six rings like Tom Brady has. Um, but with him, it's like I do have only one career here. And what gives me the best opportunity to win? Milwaukee needs to show that they are that franchise. They just have to do it. And I'm not sure what the move is for them. Maybe it's not Chris Paul. Chris Paul is in his mid-30s. 
And he is somebody who, you know, despite how great he was last year, there's only a limited amount of time left for him to be an elite player. And, you know, maybe if you're Milwaukee, you try to go younger and, you know, hit the restricted free agent market. I don't know. Maybe it's both. But the fact is, is that the Bucks have to do something here to show to Giannis that they're a better fit for him than Dallas with Luka. That with Miami and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Duncan Robinson and all those guys, they have to show that they're a better fit than Toronto with Pascal Siakam and the culture that they have there and with Nick Nurse and everything. There's a lot they have to prove over this coming year, and that's all going to start in the offseason. And you do wonder who is out there and available and what kind of assets. It's it's slim. It's slim. And they paid Middleton a fortune. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they and they paid Eric Bledsoe close to a fortune. <laughs> is Middleton the second best guy on a title team? I mean, it's it's certainly a question, right? Is that the best utilization of the money next to Giannis? It's a totally fair question. I still think I still think Chris Paul's the answer, despite his age, despite the salary, despite, you know, you gotta gotta give up Bledsoe and some other pieces to get him. I still think that Chris Paul, what he does for that offense, he solves their problems. Let's let's be let's just be straight up. He solves the shot creation problem. Period. And that's the number one problem here. Giannis can win a championship. He is not a guy that a team could game plan around if he has a guy handling those duties for him and helping him out. Giannis could then be, you know, your shack around the rim. He could be that guy who also does things from the perimeter for you. It's just there'd be less pressure on him to have. Oh, to it's do a that. perfect fit. It's a perfect. It is. Fit. It is. It's ideal. And by the way, like what you might lose, Eric Bledsoe, who was tremendous on defense during the regular season. Like we can knock his offense and poke fun of the fact defenses don't respect him as a shooter, but he was a great defender. Chris Paul is also a very, very good defender still, and so you don't lose a lot there. The, the gains heavily outweigh any losses. And by the way, the risk that you take on. If, you know, with Chris Paul's injury history, you know, with lingering problems in the playoffs, I think it's worth any risk that's taken on there, especially in a potentially shortened season. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Chris, before we move on, let's take a quick break. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Did you see that Turner and FanDuel announced a partnership for NBA on TNT? A lot of partnerships have been announced in sports betting, but this one has the potential to be really great. Why? Starting with the 2020 NBA playoffs, I've really been impressed with how FanDuel is providing value to basketball telecast and excited about seeing how the partnership unfolds in the years to come. So thank you, FanDuel, for this gambling gift. And thank you to Same Game Parlays throughout the NFL season. FanDuel will refund the first Same Game Parlay you lose on any NFL game each week up to $10. That means you can bet a different parlay risk-free every NFL week all season long. They're pretty simple. All you have to do is combine multiple bets from one game into a single game parlay. This way, the payouts are even bigger when you win. All right, so this week, I have scanned the upcoming NFL schedule, and the biggest game of the week is going to be the Titans and the Steelers. And for our same game parlay, we are going to take Big Ben over yards, Chase Claypool over yards. The Titans defense is... Uh, sneaky bad, and you just saw Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller hook up for an immense amount of yards this past week. It's another Notre Dame receiver. This time it's Claypool, uh, but it's with Big Ben, and so we're taking the over on their yards for the same game parlay. Like my picks, go ahead and bet them. You get 10 bucks back even if you don't win. We can do this all season long. I should mention FanDuel is the only sportsbook app where you can play these same game parlays, so listen up. If you don't already have an account, just sign up with the promo code RINGERNBA so they know I sent you. And if you already have an account, you're good to go. That same game parlays risk-free all NFL season long, only at FanDuel Sportsbook's app. And don't forget to use the promo code RINGERNBA when you sign up. 21 plus and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, or Iowa. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund, $10. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in West Virginia. Visit www.1800gambler.net in Indiana. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Colorado. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Iowa. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. 
Uh, all right, last thing uh, of our three things, three things that we're looking forward to oh, yeah. this offseason. My last one is what kind of money do these free agents get? Ah, uh, this is so close to mine. It is? Okay. It's so similar. This is, this has all gotten screwed up, Kev, and so it's not a big-time free agent class. We knew that going in. But there are a lot of guys that I think we would have looked and we would have said, hey, you remember that offseason when this guy got – wildly uh, way more than maybe what he's worth now when we look back at a four-year contract or something like that right like we once did with the that whole it, it wouldn't have been as bad as like the Bazemore Parsons Allen Crab year but it could have been where we're looking and we're going hey we should have seen in the bubble Montrez Harrell wasn't going to be that guy forever. And so next thing you know, you got Montrez Harrell sitting around with $20 million because <laughs> he got an $80 million deal in the offseason. You've got, you got a bunch of really good guys, right? Like the Van Vliet's and the Davis Burton's and the Montrez Harrell's and all these kind of guys that would have gotten paid a ton of money. And now, first, they got to work the CBA out. And then beyond that, is that money still there? Is somebody get, is somebody maxing Fred Van Vliet, or are they giving him a fortune? You know what I'm saying? Like, is he is he getting a massive contract? Is Davis Bertans, who decided to sit out during the bubble, is he getting some kind of huge bag? I mean, this is the free agency year. It's not a huge year. There's not a lot of teams with a lot of money. There's whatever 25 or whatever it'll be that you know could be have the mid-level to throw around but are we talking about guys getting you know 17 to 25 million that probably or absolutely would have gotten 17 to 25 million if it weren't for the coronavirus the you know the year the new cba the full-on i mean i really don't know man i i really don't know do you like Van Vliet is a, and Montrez are really good ones, Kev, to talk about because, like, if that whole thing doesn't happen, if it's just a normal year, I mean, they are getting big bags of money. Probably, yeah. Do they I, still? I, I, I would think so. And so the teams that are likely going to have cap space more than the mid-level exception is Atlanta, New York, Detroit, Charlotte, Miami, Phoenix. I could see the case for Atlanta paying a lot of money to a Fred Van Vliet. I could see it for the Knicks. Wait, so they could have the tiniest backcourt in league history? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is Why not go for, it? go for it? Yeah. But, I mean, I, I could see some of the teams like that. I could see Charlotte if they wanted to make a 20-plus million dollar offer. I could see that for sure. With How some about of those the Knicks? There for family. I could see it, too. I could. I you, could know see Thibodeau lo- you know Thibodeau loves Fred VanVleet. I could see it for all those teams. And that's where it's going to be really interesting for some of those guards and sort of related to that, just to, you know, include my third into the discussion here around what guys get paid. I am wondering what do bigs get paid specifically? Cause you have a couple of extremes. You have a younger guy like Christian Wood, who's entering restricted, who's entering not restricted. Let me correct myself there. My bad. Who's entering free agency, unrestricted free agency, following a really, really great breakout year after a handful of years in the league, bouncing between teams, but always showed his upside. He looks really good. What does somebody like him make? Bobby Marks pay- mentioned that he could get paid likely the, the mid-level exception, which is projected to be $9.3 million. But could it be more for that when he's a younger guy? What about some of the other young guys? Jacob Pertle, who showed some flashes in San Antonio as a solid rip protector. What about somebody like who's older? A Marcus Sol? Making over twenty million dollars this season. What about Tristan Thompson? Well, he's going back to Spain. He's going back. Is he coming back to the NBA after Spain, or is he staying in Spain? He's going. He's going to finish up there. So he's staying in Spain, hundred percent. I mean, that's what I was told. No chance of coming back. I I think. I think someone drops the bag for one year, fifteen million. He's staying in Spain. I I think he's going back to Spain. He's got the kids. He's got his house there. He's got his garden in his backyard. And interesting, you know what I mean. So, so is this? Is this? I mean, do you want to move it, around? It, I, 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 it this was is reported that he's taking a deal out there, but I, is it like long term or is it just no, until I, NBA? Comes I, out? I don't know, but I, I do know this: when you've got three young kids, uh, and you just moved to Toronto for a year and a half, are you going to go move around again to play a year? To play two years, 
you know, how about I just go have fun playing basketball, make a little coin doing it, live in my house. You make good money out there still. Live in my house, have my kids go to the schools that I want them to go to rather than, you know, either you, you only have two choices, right? You're either apart from them and family is a massive, massive deal to these Gasols, right? And Powell just had his kid, right? Powell just had his uh, daughter. And so I think I, I think Mark's that kind of guy. I think he interesting. I think he'll walk away and just be in Spain. I might be there wrong, was that but, report in, in late September. There was a report about him going to Barcelona. Yeah, uh, signing with them and maybe finishing out there. But it was unclear if it if it meant finishing or just like for now until NBA comes back midseason and you know maybe you go. He back ain't the kind of guy that wants knows. to live somewhere for a year though. Not with the not with the little kids. You know what I'm saying? Because you only have two choices there, right? You're either away from them or you're moving them That's somewhere true. for a year. Especially with everything going on this year with coronavirus, maybe you're like, you know what? Why bother? Let's just go back home. Well, he's made his money. He's made his money. He's made his money and he won his title. Right. And, you know, by the way, like he could go there and be an elite player. That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and in the NBA, he's a solid player right now, but he could be the guy <laughs> for Barcelona. And he and he loves it, but you you know what? And to your point about the whole, what does it do for bigs? Okay, there's a perfect example on Montrez. I mean, could have hurt his value. It did I? I think certainly hurt his perception from every NBA fan. But could have really cost him. I mean, hurt his value by that bubble performance. I mean, he was abysmal. He really was. He went from like eighteen and eight to six and four. You know, and and the amount I pay for a guy that gets me eighteen and eight every night and is sixth man of the year on a on an outstanding team versus the guy that gives me six and four when it matters most, like that's that's a that's a different uh that's a to, different to tax be, bracket. To be fair to him, he averaged ten and a half points and, and three rebounds. <laughs> I thought <laughs> oh, it was I, I thought it was him. gonna be more than four rebounds. I shorted but him. It, but it wasn't. Yeah, he did. I, I, I shorted him. But Montrez shorted him a couple points. <laughs> Montrez is like he outside of Anthony Davis, of course, he's the big that's out there and we, we all thought is the modern big, you know? I mean Gallinari's out there too and Bertons, those kind of stretch four guys, but in terms of like a guy that I could play as a a center, you know, an energy uh, to me, guy. To me, he to me he's not the big. To me, it's Christian Wood. Christian Wood to me is is the guy. Obviously, AD staying with the Lakers, so he almost doesn't even count. Christian Wood to me is the guy that I look at at twenty five years old. He can hit threes at a good rate. He shot thirty six percent from three last year with Detroit. Maybe he falls down back to like thirty one, thirty two percent closer to his career average. But he can do that. He's an elite finisher around the rim. He has shown versatility on defense. He makes some mistakes in terms of rotations and whatnot. But he can switch for you and be relied on against quicker guys. To me, Christian Wood is like discount AD. And in terms of the skills he brings with perimeter, interior finishing, lob finishing, and versatility on defense. If you're a team that's a... By the way, if you're a Pistons fan, I would be very worried about losing Christian Wood. I'd be worried because Wood has received interests, you know, at least in my conversations, like saying, hey, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about Christian Wood? Is this for real what we saw? I've had a handful of those conversations with some executives recently. People people look at him and they don't want to get screwed after a small sample size of him shining after, you know, they traded drum and he excelled to finish the year. But it was a whole year thing. He was great. If you look at his per 36 numbers pre-Drummond trade, it's not far off in terms of what he did after when he was actually given the opportunity. And with Christian Wood, if you're him, you're looking at Detroit and you're like, oh, they had me behind Drummond and Blake Griffin. What happens when Blake comes back? Do I want to go back to a retooling, rebuilding situation when there could be good teams offering similar money for a chance to win and produce and play? If I'm a Pistons fan, I'd be worried because Christian Wood is getting talked about a lot in league circles. And to me, like just my own opinion, that's the guy I would be targeting. Wow. I would be targeting Christian Wood because he shoots and he can finish and he can switch. Like, what more do you want? You know what's crazy, Kev? I went to his draft workout and he was one of those guys that was long, athletic, 
tall and you sat there and you go, he just, like it, it looks the part and the kid just, he, it's not there. He can't play and he couldn't. Like it, that's song. not that's not like I was watching him and he was good and you didn't see it. Like that kid put his nose to the ground and just decided I am going to work my ass off to fulfill my destiny because he had all of the stuff. It was just so raw. He just didn't know how to play and he didn't have the 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 requisite skills. And I don't know where his trek completely took him, but I mean that's got to be. What six seven years ago? I don't know what draft he was in. Yeah, it but- was the 2015 draft. So oh Chris- my Christian Wood was just about to turn 20, entering his rookie year after two years at UNLV. And I heard he had some bad workouts, like some this. It was this bad. is one of the worst workouts I've ever seen type of workouts. It was bad. And and it's the type of thing where the frustration with him was always always about like can he actually play and fulfill the fact that he's six foot 11 with a long wingspan and can handle the ball and is quick and agile it was always that it was you know it was who a frustration it was like? watching so, him. sorry to interrupt do you remember the kid from baylor perry jones so, yeah similar like that like yes. guys can go down the perry jones lane i oh, love no. perry jones in the no, draft i know i oh, look but i mean like you could look back at perry jones and you could go damn man if he ever puts this together yeah he could be he could be a hell of a player and he never did. He never. And Christian Wood is the exact opposite. He put it all Absolutely. together. Absolutely. He did. And by the way, I mean, he's only 25. And w- what he showed to me is somebody who's maybe about to hit his prime. I mean, the fact he, he's improved his shot, he's improved his decision making, he's improved on defense. It's all coming together. It seems like there's some maturity there. That was always a question teams have. How mature is he? Um I understand teams' hesitations, but to me, if I'm a good team with championship aspirations, you bring a guy like that into that culture, I would think it only elevates that player further. I, I, I'm looking through it. I mean, you got some guys on the older side. Serge Ibaka's a free agent. Aaron Baines, Hassan Whiteside. Like, these guys are free agents, but uh, Marcus Morris. But, you know, when you were talking about what do the bigs get, geez, man. I mean, there, there's not a ton it's of them. It's like... There's a ton of that range, though, Kev. It's like Aaron Baines, Derek Favors, Paul Millsap, Marcus Morris, Hassan Whiteside, like all those kind of guys that are all kind of 30-plus, you know, how much do we pay him to come play for us for a couple of years or a year? Um, What kind of value does a Serge Ibaka or a Tristan Thompson have? And does that has that value gone up? And then... Likewise, what does that mean for the perimeter guys? Because are people spending a fortune on Bogdan Bogdanovich? Are they spending a fortune on Malik Beasley? You know, especially not if they're going to draft Anthony Edwards, number one, you know, right? Like Malik Beasley doesn't get his money. And And what we might see a little bit of is sign in trades. Interesting. With, with let's let's take Gallinari from Oklahoma City as an example, but this could be true for Bogdanovich with the Kings or anybody. With Gallinari, they had trade offers for him. You know, Miami was after Gallinari before the February deadline, but they opted to wait because they wanted to play out the season with the good roster that they had, but also because you enter free agency with 29 other teams that may or may not want Gallinari that could sign and trade for him. OKC can simply sign and trade Gallinari to anybody, even if a team doesn't have enough cap space, because then they could just send a player back with assets for him. And so that opens up more options with Bogdanovich. You know, it's, he's a younger player would probably receive more interest from a wider range of teams. They don't need cap space to get Bogdanovich could always be a sign and trade. I think this looking down that list. I think Ibaka, I God, you know, he's only 31. That's crazy to me. I feel like I've been watching Serge Ibaka for 20 years. <laughs> you know, he's only 30. Dude, uh, but my my sense of time is just so out of whack. This, the past the past year and a half of my life, I don't know what's what. I don't know what Abaka is, is still good though. Like Abaka could yeah. start at center on a good team. He's still good, and he had a bit of a resurgence too because yes. it seemed like he was declining. And then in Toronto, his play picked up. He started shooting even more threes. You know, his defense looks really good. I mean, Sergi Bakken to me doesn't look like he's right near the end. Like he did for a little bit. It looked like he was really declining right. quickly. He's not the shot blocker he once was. No, he's, but still, he's adapted to what he is. That's now. right. 
And did he did what took place with the the Jokic's and the Davises and the Embiid's and on and on? Did you know? And and Bam Adebayo also. You know, does that now? Do you look at it and whatever Serge Ibaka would have gotten? It's a different price now because his value is much greater. If I'm a contender, I sit there and I go, man, this is, I, I, I need a guy like this. I need a guy that I could throw on Jokic and Davis, like not to shut down, to slow down, you know, because <laughs> otherwise these guys are just going to murder me. For you know? sure. You and that's where that a guy like that, who's really good, not like consistent all-star level, but he gets, he gets a good little chunk of change just because he's so useful against the good teams. Absolutely. And, and that's why, you know, this free agent class is weak in terms of star power, but much like the draft, there's still some quality rotation players that could help out a team that's trying to contend for a championship, whether it's an Ibaka, an older guy who's proven it, who's won it, who has long, a, a, a longevity in the league, or whether it's a young guy like Christian Wood who just popped and maybe his best years are still ahead of him. There's options out there for teams that are looking to bolster their odds in the playoffs to go out and get somebody and with a with a suppressed market without a lot of money out there and with teams due to coronavirus pandemic maybe not wanting to spend that also creates more opportunity for those teams that do have a mid-level exception worth about 9 to 10 million or do have an owner that's like let's yeah let's go for it and so I'm I'm going to be fascinated to see where these bigs go and how much they actually end up getting paid well the other thing is this Kev if you decide if you're Toronto who knows who they bring back of those two. And if you decide I'm going to throw a fortune at Fred Van Vliet and he's going to be my neck, the next phase of the Toronto Raptors is him as our starting point guard. Well, you, you've talked a lot about Chris Paul and all these landing areas. How about the other guy? And if he could land somewhere else, Kyle Lowry, right? If you are spending a fortune on Van Vliet, if you decide, if I'm Toronto and I say, I want to keep him, uh, we don't want to lose him. He's the younger player, and he'll be our point guard going forward. Well, now all of a sudden, I mean, you could get some – You could, uh, uh, Kyle Lowry's got a, a few more really good years, and hey, Kev, I don't know if you uh, know this, but Kyle's a Philly kid. He is a Philly kid. It's true. <laughs> It's true. If you're That's Toronto, not a you, bad you, one. Huh? If you're, I could see Toronto going either way with in terms of maybe you want to continue trying to compete and you keep Kyle Lowry through the last year of his contract, or maybe you're trying to flip him and and to a team that's also contending. You want to do the player right, um, and, and maybe Philadelphia makes a heck of a lot of sense in terms of the, what he brings with the play on the court, what we see with the numbers, with the stats, the style, but also the intangibles, the leadership. That's something that they need a guy who's done it, who has a voice in the locker room. What is Philly missing there? That's what it is, right? So, you know, I think something like that. Boy, they'd love him is there. something to explore. God, they love Ooh, him. It would, be, it would be really nice to see that. Yeah. That'd be cool. All right. Well, I can't wait. I mean, we don't have too much longer. How? Let me just ask you one quick question before we get out of here today. How are you, outside of, like, calling people and asking them for opinions on stuff and watching, you know, more videos, how can you update the draft thing, like, from now until the draft? I mean, this is like your baby, this draft thing. Like, how do you move guys up and down at this point? Because this is so effed up. All this draft preparation is just crazy. And as someone who's trying to put together a mock draft, and put together a a draft board, I I can only imagine you just must be pulling your hair out because the lack of information is so severe. Um, When when it comes to the mock draft, it's too early. It's really too early to know who's going to go where. It's like when putting together a mock right now, it's more about the range of a player and trying to hear which guys might be rising or falling. Like there's a stuff about Patrick Williams from Florida State kind of on the rise, maybe into mid to late lottery. I put that in my mock, just that I'm hearing that and it reflects in the mock, not necessarily what team is taking a specific player. Like Golden State, there's a lot of noise about Wiseman like we just talked about. And I'll, you know, in my mock next Monday, I'll put him in there. But, you know, we'll see what actually ends up happening. It's still too soon for that. And with my big board, but in terms of my philosophy, I, I, I don't 
I don't stress too much about my rankings until about a couple of weeks before the draft because that's when you have all your intel. That's when you know as much as possible about who these players are as people. It's what you know about what they've been working on. You see video of somebody like Devin Vassell from Florida State chucking the ball, and you're like, what's going on with his jump shot mechanics? And maybe instead of moving him up, you start moving him down. It's all of these things. And also, like I said in passing earlier with James Wiseman, if you told me he's going to Golden State, I would move him up my board because that's a perfect situation for him to develop. And if noise starts to come around closer to the draft that Wiseman is going to go to the Warriors, I'm probably going to move him up a little bit on my board because I'm going to feel more comfortability with what the player is going into because so much of success not has to do with more than just the player's own talents and their skills and what their potential might be. It's about the situation that they go into and how that's developed and how that's shaped. So I, I think that should be important in terms of what is a, a general agnostic big board. This is not a team-specific big board that I put out there. It's a general one. Um, if you're doing team-specific, every team would be different. Every board would be different. And that would be kind of a fun experiment to do. Imagine a big board for each team. Would that be cool? Would that be too much information? Like, like if you had 30 big boards? How about a top mar- five? How about a top five? A top five for each yeah. team? Yeah. And I guess the, the team needs page can handle that. It's going to do it for another Rigger NBA show. Uh, we'll be doing mailbags on Friday. Yeah. So give up that email again. Yeah. Send us uh, any questions. It could be basketball related, life related, music related, whatever it might be to NBA mailbag at gmail.com. Thank you so much, everybody. NBA mailbag at gmail.com. Thanks to producer Sasha as always. And we will talk to you on Friday. Peace out, y'all.